0: Well, good morning, church. Welcome to 2017, a year where the world is telling us that what you put out there publicly is far more important than anything else you do in your life. And it's happening in all around us. It's happening in the world all around us. And this morning, we're going to look at that question a little bit about what is the best things or the best thing you will do this year. And over the course of the next four or five weeks, This is what we're going to be figuring out. What are the best things that we can do this year? Let me start by quickly introducing myself for those of you who I haven't had a chance to meet. Uh, My name is Justin, as Pastor Rick mentioned. Uh, I've been attending church here at Mount Hope for uh, about eight years now. And uh, it's been great to be a part of the Belmont campus over the last year. But I want to give you a little background on my life. I hail from New Jersey. That's a picture of my backyard in in the first picture there. (laughs) Those are my two sons, Ethan and Noah. (laughs) Ethan is currently attending Princeton University at the age of five, where he's doing a degree in uh, brain science. And Noah is currently attending Harvard, where he's working in rocket surgery. It's amazing how far these two have come in their short years here on this earth. I work out constantly. (laughs) Eight days a week, I'm working out all the time. Hashtag the struggle is real I'm working out all the time In my spare time, I eat kale for breakfast, lunch, and dinner And I rescue puppies from burning buildings all the time as well Hashtag I'm blessed This is the life that we put out there Now, those of you who do know me know none of this is true Except for the fact that I have kids named Ethan and Noah Except for that part, none of this is true New Jersey does not look anything like that If my sons look like that, my wife and I need to have a conversation (laughs) I never work out. In fact, I think I got a little winded walking up the steps of the stage right now. And I don't even know what kale is, let alone eat it. But this is the thing that we do in 2017. Our world teaches us to put out this public perception of the perfect life and all the perfect things we do and how wonderful we are at all times. This is what the world teaches us. In fact, a recent study was done, and in this study uh, of social media users, the researchers found out that about 70% of social media users either exaggerate or outright lie what they put on their profiles every single day. 70%. That same study found out that about 1 in 10 people could not even remember what really happened versus what they posted. That's pretty remarkable if you think about that. 50% of the people in the study said that I struggle just living up to the expectations of the life I've created online. Can you imagine? This is the society we live in. Everything we do in public is magnified. It's supposed to be the most amazing thing that makes everyone else jealous of what we're doing Publicly, and we're constantly taught and trained that the public you is the most important you there will ever be, that the public version of you is extremely, extremely important. But over the next couple of weeks, we're going to take some time to dive into what the Bible teaches about this whole phenomenon about the public you and the private you. Let's start by reading a passage of Scripture that talks a little bit about this, and it comes to us from the book of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 18. Very familiar passage. It's a part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But it teaches us a lot about what the Bible says about this whole idea of how important the public version of you really is and what should actually be driving the public version of you. It says there like this, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. We are experts At cultivating this public life, this public image that we want everyone to see, to be aware of, and in many cases, be envious of. But Jesus, on his very famous Sermon on the Mount, as he's wrapping up the sermon, coming closer to the conclusion of this great sermon, he starts to talk about the importance of what you do in your private life versus doing all of these things publicly for people to see. If you are wondering how we finish that sentence, the best thing you will do this year, let's just do a spoiler alert right now. The best thing that you will do this year are the things that no one will ever see. The best things you will do this year are the things that no one will see. And over the next four or five weeks, Pastor Rick is going to really unwrap the logistics and the details of this. But today, what I'm going to do for you is just show you through the Word of God, through Scripture and through example, that this is the life that we all should be cultivating here on the first day of 2017 and every other day that God gives us on this earth. The life that no one will ever see. If we cultivate this life first, everything else will fall into place. And I'll show you examples from the Scriptures that tell us this is exactly what God calls us to do. Because God does so much of His best work in obscurity. When no one is watching, when no one sees it, he develops us into the people, into the believers, into the children, into the fathers, the mothers, into the workers, into the witnesses that he desires us to be. But he doesn't do it in public. He does it in private. He does it in that one-on-one close relationship, in the intimacy of one-on-one with him. Take a look at the things that God has done from the beginning of time. Take a look at creation. Take a look at the things that we are only discovering now. The Hubble telescope, for example, sends us images from space. And these images are spectacular to look at. Amazing, amazing images. Images that we have never seen before, never knew ever existed. But God had done this in his time many, many eons ago. From the beginning of time, he had already done this. But man, just found out a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, that this existed. Because God does his best work in obscurity too. God does so much of what he does when no one is watching, when no one is looking. All these incredible images are a sign of a God, an artist, a designer, a creator, who does so much, not really concerned about which audience is seeing it at that moment. It's done in obscurity. Look at creation all around us, the things that we see every day in the world, the beauty of nature, the things that are again, no matter who discovers it or who finds it, it's God doing his work in his time, in his way, with the beauty that only he can do it. It reminds me of a story of a young gentleman, 16-year-old cowboy back in the 1800s named Jim White. And Jim and his family had moved to a part of New Mexico and were just going about their business. They were going about their lives. He was actually with a group of fence menders. They were going out into the wilderness to mend fences so they can keep their cattle herded properly. And Jim one day went out with this group of fence menders and he was looking in the distance of the desert and he can see a giant black line going from the ground into the sky far off in the distance. And Jim said, look, I need to, to explore this. I need to see what's going on. And Jim far, walks far into the distance and looks down and realizes as he gets closer and closer that large black line was actually a giant group of bats going from the earth into the sky. And as he got closer and closer, he realized there must be such a hole down there that this many bats could climb up out of this hole. And so, over the next few months and years, Jim started to explore that hole. The hole was not a giant one, but it was extremely dark and With a little kerosene lamp, Jim would lower himself down in a little bucket fifty feet at first, touch down on a ledge, and then a hundred feet after that. And before you knew it, Jim was discovering what would today be known as the Carlsbad Caverns, one of the largest cave systems in the entire world. 73 square miles. Jim discovered it just because he was curious and went after it. Those caverns draw close to a million visitors every year. Those caverns are beautiful. They are giant. They're spectacular. But here's the great thing about these caverns. They were there before Jim discovered them. Because God works in obscurity. God does things when no one's watching. It was the little dripping of water over many, many thousands of years that ultimately leads to formations like this. He works in private. He works in obscurity. But the end result is beautiful. The end result is perfect after the work in obscurity. Look at the lives in the Word of God in Scripture that you see all the time. These, these lives like Abraham, lives like Moses, lives like Esther and Joseph, lives like Daniel. These lives were, were, were molded in obscurity, molded in private. Even though they had amazing public ministry, they were molded in private. And so the big question that hangs over all of us this morning is a simple one. That question is, what does your private life look like? What does your private time look like? Where is your time being spent? And if you're going to map out 2017, this is the question you must ask yourself first. What does my private life look like? What does my life that no one sees look like? Because that is the life that God is trying to cultivate and disciple and use for something much more public, maybe down the road. But unless we give our private life over to Him first... None of the other really ever happens or occurs. Think about when you were in middle school or high school, when you would take a math test, and the teacher would say what? They'd say, here's the exam, or here's the test or the quiz. I want you to provide the answer, but what else do you need to do? You need to show your work as you answer the question. What is the teacher explaining? That the end result is important, But how you got there is just as important. How you got there has a lot to do with how well you understood what you were doing. And so the teacher understands that if you show your work, show me how you got there, then I understand you actually get the solution to the problem and didn't just copy the answer from the person next to you. It's this idea, again, of God putting us through a strong, integrity-filled private life in order for us to be used better by him in public when the answer is shown, this is what he calls us to do. In 2001, when the World Trade Center was was brought down, there was a lot of debate over the next 10 or 15 years about what would replace that spot. And when the Freedom Tower was finally being built in the space for, for, for the World Trade Center... You may have read some of these headlines about how much time was spent building the foundation of this building. In fact, a photo of it would show you that the foundation, which goes very deep into the ground, it took two years to just build the foundation. Now, the building that ultimately resulted from it is marvelous. It's magnificent to see it, but without those two years in the dirt, two years in the ground, two years that no one saw that building doesn't ever become as beautiful as it is. It's the work that was done in obscurity, the work that was done when no one was looking that ultimately led to the beauty of the building that we ultimately see. So this morning, I want to leave you with three very quick ideas, very quick thoughts on what it takes to build this life in private and what we gain from this life in private, this life that no one ever really sees, this life in obscurity, what does, it, what does it give us? And the first thing, probably the most important thing, that life in intimacy, that life in privacy gives us relationship. It'll be three quick R's, that way we can remember it a little easier. Relationships flourish when no one is looking. We walk closer with the Lord, we understand His life, we become intimately entangled with God when we have a relationship with Him in private. Look, what we do here on Sundays is tremendously important. But the real relationship building between us and Christ happens in our own homes, in our bedrooms, in our closets, in our place where we are one-on-one with God. That's where the relationship really flourishes. And this is what Christ calls us to do. My parents grew up in southern India, and they had a very traditional arranged marriage. Very traditional arranged marriage. Let me explain how traditional it was. My dad walked into my mother's home, the home that my mother grew up in. They all, a group of men, walked into the home. There was another group of men from my mom's side of the family. They all met together in a living room. My dad did not see my mom in this meeting. My mom, her role traditionally was to come in and serve tea to all the men that were in that room. And so she brought the tea in. My father saw her for the what? 14 seconds that it takes to serve tea. They were married two days later. That's the traditional marriage that they had, the traditional arranged marriage that they have now. They've been happily married for 42 years, so God bless them for how they were married. But it's weird to me sometimes to hear that story, but if you ask them, if you ask them what's the success of your marriage, they will never say it was their wedding day. That public declaration of their love for one another that day was not the key to their marriage. They'll tell you it was the 42 years of private conversation, of going through the adversities of life together, of dealing with the tough issues of life and experiencing the mountaintops together and the valleys together. That's what brought them together. It was the private stuff, the the behind-the-scenes stuff that really led to the success of their marriage, not the stuff that was done in public on that Saturday after they'd met for 48 hours. It's because the private, obscure stuff is the stuff that develops relationships. It's something we cannot forget. I remember the first time when I found out I was going to become a father. Here's how not so smart I am. My first my first reaction to it was, this is going to be a piece of cake. That was my first reaction. <laughs> I am qualified to be a father, I thought. I will do this It's because it's going to be so easy, especially when I found out I'm going to be raising a son. It's going to be so easy. I'm a guy. My son's going to be a guy. This is going to be so easy. I just have to throw a ball around with him. I've got to play with him once in a while. I'll come home from work. He'll celebrate my arrival. He'll come to the door singing, he'll come to the door singing, you're a good, good father. And and I thought, I thought this is what life would be like as a parent. And then you realize real parenting is the stuff that no one sees. It's the the behind-the-scenes stuff. It's the the feeding and the bathing, the washing, the cleaning, the disciplining. That's the stuff that builds the relationship with our children. That's what happens. Because God is looking for us to build a relationship with Him. We can never overlook it. When Pastor Rick came up here and invited us to salvation this morning, we sometimes overlook the fact that this is God inviting us to have a relationship with him. That's pretty remarkable if you ask me. That's pretty amazing if you ask me. This God who has no requisite desire, no requisite necessity to have a relationship with us, he desires relationship with us to the point that he would send his son to die to reconcile that relationship with us. That's how amazing that relationship is. He wants relationship with you. He invites you to relationship with Him, to commune with Him, to build a connection with Him. And that invitation goes out to you this morning, but that invitation, while it was issued here in public this morning, I tell you, it's a private matter that we really develop that relationship and maintain that relationship daily, every day. And as we go through it over the next few weeks on the logistics of it, I encourage you to remember how important it is to have that private time with Christ every single day. If you've studied the Old Testament, you know the life of Moses is a great example of this. Moses, who lived 120 years on this earth, his life can be divided into three quadrants. The first 40 years, the second 40 years, and the last 40 years of his life. What I love about Moses' life is simply this, that the first 40 years of his life were very public, Very, very public. He was uh, found in the the river Nile and his, his, uh, his adopted mother is actually the daughter of the pharaoh of Egypt. And she raises him up as a prince of Egypt. It is a very public position. But that ends with Moses committing murder and running off into the wilderness for the next 40 years of his life. He lives in obscurity. No one really knows that he's there. He lives out in the wilderness tending his father-in-law's sheep. And it's there that he develops his relationship with God. It's out in the wilderness when no one is watching that he develops this incredible close-knit relationship with God where it it culminates in that burning bush moment where he speaks to God as though one would speak face-to-face. Take a look at some of the things that the book of Exodus teaches us. That the Lord would speak to Moses face-to-face as one speaks with God. Exodus 33 shows us how Moses prays. His relationship becomes so close to God that he's no longer really praying for himself anymore. He starts to pray like this, Lord, Teach me your ways. Lord, guarantee me your presence. Lord, show me your glory. Those kinds of prayers only happen with a close relationship with God. It's not about me and what I can get. It's, God, what do you want on this earth? That's the kind of prayer Moses starts to pray. And those 40 years lead into the final 40 years of his life, that amazing ministry where he goes to Pharaoh with boldness and says, let my people go so that they can worship the God that I now know personally. And he leads them out of the wilderness and he takes them to the promised land or leads them close to the promised land. And that whole part of Moses' life does not happen without the 40 years of obscurity before where he's developing a relationship with his father. And this is what God calls us to do in 2017. He calls us to a close Personal intimate relationship with Him because number one He invites you to that relationship, and number two He requires that if you want to grow in Him, that relationship must exist. So, for those of you who are sitting here this morning wondering about 2017, anxious about this year, for those of you who have questions heavy on your life this morning, for those of you who are saying, "How will I deal with this issue? How will I deal with this struggle, this family problem, this financial issue, this thing that's going on in my life?" Here's the number one. And the best thing you will do this year, build a relationship with God this year. Everything else comes from that. It's the roadmap for everything else is relationship. If you want to know the will of God in your life, build a relationship with Him. That will becomes much easier to understand when you know Him, when you understand Him. It's the same way Moses was able to commune with God. It's because of the relationship that he had built with God There's a very peculiar verse in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 54, and that verse summarizes the majority of Jesus' life on this earth. This is interesting. The first 12 years of Jesus' life, the Gospels record some of what took place. The final three and a half years, the Gospels record a, a tremendous amount. But what about the ages of 12 to 30? The book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 54, in one verse, summarizes the age of 12 to 30 for all of us. And it simply says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Because that's all we need to know. His relationship with the Father was growing during that time. His communion with the Father was growing so that he could fulfill the ministry that the Father had called him to fulfill. He was growing in personal, interconnected relationship with the Father. This is why the book of Hebrews says like this, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that seek him diligently. Every day, seek him diligently. That seek word is an important one. It means to crave, to pursue, to go after with all your might. That's what it means when we seek God every day. Ask yourself, what does my private life look like? Is there a lot of craving after God going on in my private life? Is there a lot of pursuit of God in my private life? Because if there isn't, my friends, there's going to be something missing with everything else that comes after it. We must crave, seek, pursue God in this relationship because relationship is one of the first things that we get in our private life with God. He desires relationships with us. The second R teaches us about something else that happens in our private life with God, and that is refinement. Refinement is the second thing that happens in our private life with God. Our skills, our talents, our motivations are sharpened to be used by God in our private time, in our private life. If you've ever read the the Malcolm Gladwell book, Outliers, almost the entire book is based on this idea of refinement, of practice, making perfect. He comes up with the theory of the 10,000-hour rule, which you may have heard of before, this idea that in order for you to be an expert at anything, you have to devote at least 10,000 hours of devoted practice to that thing to become an expert at whatever that thing is. He gives a number of examples. He uses the example of Bill Gates and Paul Allen, the two co-founders of Microsoft. Microsoft. And Gladwell says that the reason why Bill Gates was able to drop out of Harvard or drop out of school and still become the co-founder of one of the biggest companies in the world is not because he dropped out and he was so brilliant. It actually goes back much further. It goes back to when Gates was in eighth grade and he went to a a private academy in the state of Washington called Lakeside. Lakeside in 1968 made the audacious decision to go and buy a computer terminal for its students. Now, mind you, most universities didn't have computer terminals in 1968. And here was a high school buying a computer terminal for its students. Gates would spend countless hours at that computer terminal becoming obsessed with coding and programming and learning how to program a computer terminal. And this went on for years. In eighth grade, he started this obsession. It got to the point where his family was living very close to the University of Washington that also had a computer terminal. Gates would sneak out of his home at night and run to the university to program at night. Now, I don't know what you were sneaking out for at night when you were younger. But Gates was going to a computer terminal at night and programming through the night. He had done over 10,000 hours of programming by the time he left high school. So you ask, how was he able to drop out of college and start this amazing company? It's because he had the 10,000 hours in the presence of that computer terminal. Do you see where I'm going with this? Let's take a look at the Beatles, another example that's offered up in this book, Outliers. It talks about how in the 1960s, the Beatles were just a high school rock band. They moved to Hamburg, Germany, and they're in Germany playing in front of empty clubs. The the lighting was bad, the acoustics were terrible, but they were playing in front of empty clubs, perfecting their sound. It got to the point in 1962 where they had already played 1,200 concerts. Most bands today don't play 1,200 concerts in their entire lifetimes. This band had played it in two years. It was almost seven days a week. Every day they were playing a new concert. They perfected their sound. By the time 1964 rolled around, they had far surpassed the 10,000 hours that they needed to perfect what they were doing. Now, they did it in front of a computer terminal, or they did it with their instruments, but God calls us to do it one-on-one with Him to spend that time to refine the skills that he's given us to be better used for his glory, it can only happen if we spend the time in relationship and refinement in private with him. Take a look at the story of David. David and Goliath is this amazing, amazing moment in history, amazing moment in scripture. When David meets Goliath, it is a public battle, but don't be fooled for a second that that was the moment God suddenly called and chose and used David. That wasn't the moment. David for many years had lived in obscurity watching his father's sheep by himself. It was him, a bunch of sheep, and God. And he built a relationship with God during that time that was so strong that the day that Goliath stood in front of him, he comes back at an eight-foot giant and says, You come at me with a sword and a spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. That only happens through a life in obscurity. In fact, David says that when the lion came against me, I destroyed it. When the bear came in to take the, my father's sheep, I also destroyed it. That was the life in obscurity. He was practicing his skill when no one was watching. So the day when a giant stood in front of him, it was not hard for a master slinger to knock that giant down because he'd already practiced in obscurity. That's what God calls us to do, to practice when no one is watching As a teacher, I see this all the time. I, I get to live this out every day where I get to see students who have clearly done the work and students who clearly haven't done the work. I can assign a paper at the end of a semester, final project. Everything culminates with this one big grade at the end of the semester and I can see just when the student hands in the paper sometimes how well that student did or did not do. Number one, you'll see the very sleepy students handing in the paper. You know exactly what's going to come from that paper. Sometimes you'll take a look at the paper, and the really good students will hand you this beautifully bound, heavy, thick volume that they'll hand you, 25 or 30 pages, and you know that they did the work in private, in secret. They did the work, and the the result will show it. Then every once in a while, I brought in a paper just to to demonstrate this. Every once in a while, I'll get one of these. Number one rule of handing in a paper to a college professor is staple the paper. (laughs) As soon as I see that there is no staple, I know. What did the student do? They likely stayed up all night. They wrote a couple of pages early in the morning. They ran to the printer, pulled the sheets out of the printer, ran to class, and handed it in, not even stapling the paper. It tells me right away, you didn't do the work in private that would give you a good public result. In fact, I read this paper, and the student did very poorly. It was, it was not a surprise. It was a, it's one of these things that when we do the work, when no one is watching, the end result will show it. It goes in so many facets of life. Think about athletics. Every coach will tell you that the greatest athletes are the ones who prepare in the preseason, in the offseason, when no one is watching. Now, I'm a very, very passionate New York Giants fan. I know that doesn't bode well here, but I respect and I admire the quarterback that you guys have here in New England. I admire Tom Brady. I respect him because what he does in the preseason is incredible. What he does in the offseason. How many of you saw that recent article about Tom Brady's diet recently? If you haven't seen this, it is ridiculous, especially from a guy who doesn't even know what kale is. Let me tell you how ridiculous this is. Tom Brady, who, by the way, says he wants to play to the age of 46. Sorry, Jets fans. It's 80%—his diet, it's 80% vegetables. All whole grains and lean meats with absolutely zero white sugar, zero white flour, zero MSG. He's so strict about the vegetables he eats, he doesn't even eat mushrooms, eggplants, peppers, or tomatoes. He works out every day for at least three hours every day. There is nothing soft about this man, except for maybe the footballs he throws. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. There is... (laughs) There is, this man is devoted to his craft. He's devoted to his practice. He does it when no one's watching so that when millions of people are watching, he can perfect what he's been practicing. This is what God calls us to in our time of refinement. What I do outside the spotlight, what I do outside the public eye has more to do with my success than what I do in the public eye. The final R, and we'll go through this quickly, is renewal. The third thing, that time in obscurity, that private life will develop for you is renewal because renewal happens when no one is looking. I want to be honest with you, folks. If there's one thing in your life that the devil will attack in 2017, it's your private time with God because he knows that's the place where you grow. He knows that's the place where you develop and mature and become rooted in your faith. He knows it. So he will attack that one place. He'll make you think you're busier than your time with God. He'll make you think you're more stressed than having time with God. He'll make you believe that something else is more important than this time with God because if He can distract your time with God, He can take care of everything else a lot easier. God is calling us to a private time with Him and it starts with us understanding that only in the private time does renewal really sustain and maintain itself. Renewal happens when no one is looking, what does renewal mean? Renewal is when we switch our focus. We switch our focus away from what we think is important to what, what, what God says is important. That's what renewal is. And that happens in the privacy, in the intimate, private moments with you and God. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which we studied extensively over the last few months, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that renewal often happens in the private, intimate moments with God. If you prefer to see this as a math equation, here's what it would look like. It would be simply this, that depth or growth or rootedness, maturity in Christ equals devotion, which we'll talk about over the next few weeks. Over the period of time, minus the spotlight. And that devotion can be scripture reading, it can be prayer, it can be seeking God's will, it can be giving generously, it can be waiting on the Holy Spirit, it can be fasting. All of those things, over the course of time, minus the spotlight. And that's where we grow as believers. Your connection to Christ cannot just be a Sunday thing, my friends. It has to be a daily devotion with God. And that's something we encourage you to do. And as you come back over the next few weeks, there's one last R, and that's Rick. And Pastor Rick is... Pastor Rick is going to be up here for the next four weeks doing the hard work. He's going to be coming up here and sharing some of the logistics, some of the details on how we do this. How do we spend time with the Word of God? How do we spend time in prayer? So I encourage you, please be here over the next few weeks. Take those lessons in because they're going to be phenomenally important. I want to leave you with a verse from the book of Lamentations written by the prophet Jeremiah. And he writes like this in chapter 3, in a moment of anguish in his life. I want you to pay careful attention. He says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. They are new every morning. How great is your faithfulness. I'm staying with God. I say it over and over. He's all I have left. God proves to be good to the man who passionately waits, to the woman who diligently seeks. It's a good thing to quietly hope, quietly hope for help from God. It's a good thing when you're young to stick it out through the hard times. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself, enter the silence, bow in prayer, don't ask questions, wait for hope to appear, don't run from trouble, take it full face. The word, the word is never, the the worst is never the worst. Why? Because the master won't ever walk out and fail to return. What an amazing promise for us in 2017. No matter what you face in life, go into your private time with God. Build your relationship. Refine the skills that God has called you to refine and renew that relationship regularly. Renew that focus regularly. This is ultimately what it boils down to. The best things that you will do this year are the things that no one will ever see. And the best example in all of Scripture of this is Jesus. Take a look at his life. This is God on earth. And what does he do in his free time? I want to share some verses for you. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That's Mark chapter 1. Luke chapter 5 says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke chapter 6 says, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples. After Jesus has dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Matthew chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 says, When Jesus and his disciples had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, Jesus' usual place to pray. Mark chapter 14 says, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. Does that give you an example of the one that we serve. When he was on earth staying focused on his mission, he communed with his father every day. Constantly. It was a very regular part of his life. It was a habit. A discipline. Jesus prays before his ministry begins. He prays before he chooses his disciples. He prays before he walks on water. He prays before he preaches. He prays before he healed a leper. He prayed before he healed the paralytic man. He prayed before he revealed the kingdom of God in the synagogue. Before he preaches and teaches, he prayed. Before he is accused, tortured, and crucified, he spent time in the presence of God. This is what Jesus exemplified to us that if we want to be able to shine in public, if we want to be the people that God has called us to be, then it starts in private with us and God one-on-one together. In fact, in the night that he was betrayed, where was Jesus caught? In a garden praying to the Father. Should be the best example for all of us. If all that is true is found in Jesus, if all that is right and good and perfect is found in Jesus then don't I want to know that Jesus? Don't I want to spend more time this year with that Lord? I want 2017 to be a year where I grow closer to God. If that's your desire today, then it starts in private. It starts in obscurity. I'm going to welcome our worship team to come back up as we close out our service today. Rather than spending time with a public confession today, I think it's appropriate that we spend some time in private confession and private prayer private time between you and the lord for a few minutes this morning and my hope and my desire is that you will continue it long after you leave here that you will make it a habit a discipline every day to spend time in the presence of god and realize my private life should steer my public life far more than the other way around i'm going to invite us all to bow our heads and close our eyes in the presence of god we're going to spend some time in worship today But let's start with just a few minutes in prayer. I'll pray for us, but I want us to spend a few minutes just praying your heart to God's heart. If your desire is to spend more time in his presence, start now. Let him know that's your desire. He's a God who desires relationship with you today. Let's take a minute to pray to ourselves, and then I'll close us in prayer and we'll worship the Lord together. Lord, in a world where Everyone is telling us that what we put out there publicly is the most important thing. God, I thank you because you have called us to lives of integrity and lives of private, intimate relationship with you. And this morning we come before you, God, with humble hearts and we give you thanks for what you've done for us, Lord. We thank you that a Savior was willing to die for us and a Savior was willing to come and wash our sins clean. A Savior was willing to break the chains that held us in life. And most of all, that Savior invites us to relationship with him this morning. And Lord, we come before you just seeking your face today, Lord God. I pray for every one of my brothers and my sisters here this morning, everyone who desires a relationship with you today, Lord God. Let them see and feel and understand and know the realness of that relationship with you. God, that relationship is the place where refinement and renewal takes place, Lord God. It's not for our benefit. It's not for our ultimate gain, but it's for your glory, Lord God. It's for your goodness and your glory, God, that you would be lifted up in our generation, in our cities, in our towns, in our state, in our nation, in the world around us, Lord. Be lifted up, but Lord, be lifted up after we have established a relationship with you in private, Lord God. Help us to do that, Lord Jesus. Help us to be one with you, Lord God, to have communion with you daily, Lord Jesus. Let all the distractions be set aside. Let everything that holds us back from that be set aside and let our focus remain on you as we go forward. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that you desire relationship with us. We thank you that you develop us in obscurity, that you develop us in the private moments, and we thank you for that. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.